0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We've been walking through the book of Colossians and, uh, well, not quite the whole book yet, but the first chapter of Colossians. (laughs) the past like eight weeks, this is officially the longest sermon series in City Chapel. We're calling it Jesus's Life. So honestly, we could probably be on this topic until Jesus comes back or until I die. Um, so typically we have a bunch of different sermon series. They're about four to five weeks long. They're around a particular topic. And um, I like that. I'm not against that. But I, I really felt the Lord leading me to just simply open up a book of the Bible and go verse by verse through that book and just teach from that and preach from that. Um, teaching and preaching, it's very similar things, but uh, preaching is more spit. That's, that's the difference between preaching and teaching. And so I felt I should spit a little and then talk a little. And just, just to, one, give you a knowledge of Scripture. Um, because I, many of us are afraid of the Bible, Uh, We haven't read it much and many of us come from backgrounds actually where you weren't even allowed to read it Uh, The priest had to come to your house to read it (laughs) Okay, fine. Some of you come from that background. Well, well, I want to give you permission to open the Word of God, the Bible, and read it for yourself. Even if you don't understand everything, that's fine. I don't understand everything. None of us understand everything. We're all trying to understand whatever we can. So open the Bible, read it for yourself, um, and that's what I want you to do. And so that's why I'm going verse by verse, word by word, line by line, and just slowly moving through the book of Colossians so that you will learn that you can do this. You can do this at home. You can read Colossians on your own. In fact, if you're if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, you've missed the past eight I think eight weeks we've been we've been in this sermon series. Uh, but you only missed chapter one, so literally it'll take you five minutes. This afternoon to catch up where we are. Uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, you'll see how I can take, turn five minutes into nine hours. Um, but uh, anyway, you can, you, you, can, you can check that out. But, but in the meantime, I really want to help you develop a love for the Word of God. Not only an understanding like, like up here, but a love down in here that you say, man, this is, this is water to me. This is life to me. This is nourishment to me. This is, this is what equips me, that empowers me to live for God, that, that I have this word, uh, this, this word of God right here that I can open up and read um, at any given time, in my darkest night and in my best days, in my, my biggest celebrations and in my deepest pain. I have the Bible that's unchanging it's not, it's not shifting with culture. You don't have to take a poll to see if it's true or not. You don't have to check in. You don't have to watch the debate to figure out if this is real. Uh, you don't have to fact check this. Okay. You don't have to fact check. This has already been fact checked for the past 2,000 years. It's been fact checked. Okay. Uh, it's, it's the, it's the real deal and it's unchanging. It's solid. And so I want, I, I want to help you just latch on to this, stand on this and grow in this. But also, the third reason is that, honestly, the book of Colossians is just awesome. It was written to a small church um, in about 60 A.D., uh, that's, that's after a- after Christ's death. Sixty years after that, Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, specifically an apostle to the Gentiles or the non-Jews, Paul wrote this as a letter, um, not really as as a book uh, with chapters and verses, but just as a letter from prison to this church in Colossians. The church in Colossians had been going for about five years. We've been going for four years, so I figure it's kind of similar. Uh, They were in a small town. A small, Kalash was not a large town. Uh, It was actually a suburb of a larger town, but anyway, they were in a small town. The church had been going for a few years, and its pastor was a man named Epaphras, and Epaphras connected with Paul and was actually saved by Paul, uh, by, not (laughs) Jesus saves us, but anyway, through the preaching of Paul, uh, uh, Epaphras came to the knowledge of Jesus. He went back to his hometown started a church and then five years later he met up with Paul again and just shared with Paul everything that was going on and uh, there was a lot of good things going on um, but there was a problem that that the church in Kalash was having and that was a problem with false teaching false doctrine um, something that we a doctrine we identify now as um, Gnosticism It was a teaching that was creeping into the church and actually um, Paul, in, in the first chapter, he's, he's attacking Gnosticism, but he, he, you, don't, you don't know it because he's not, he's not attacking it directly. He's simply, he's simply bringing truth, the truth of who Jesus really is. Jesus is life, and it's all about Jesus. And if you get Jesus right, who he is and what he's done— it's kind, of like, it's kind of like bank tellers. I hear that back in the day, in order to train bank tellers, I don't know how this actually goes nowadays, but in order to train them to identify fake bills, um, they didn't necessarily show the tellers a whole bunch of fake bills. Instead, they just got them so used to working with the real thing that they would spot a fake when it came across their desk. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is saying, look, I could go into all the millions, uh, myriads of ways that you could mess this thing up, uh, but we'll never fully actually uh, be able to speak to all the ways that humans are going to be able to mess this up. Instead, let me just lay for you a foundation of the real thing. The real thing is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is life. And if you can get him right, if you can understand him, if you can come to know him, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what the enemy might throw at you, what deception might come against you, what temptation may come against you. If you can build your life on the foundation of Jesus... Man, you're you are going to be okay, and that's basically what chapter one is all about. And so, uh, I have a little list of the sermons that I've been teaching on, which I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But today, I want to jump into the end of chapter one, and we're going to go into chapter two. Now, it's important to know that there were no chapters. Or verses in this letter initially, they didn't, they didn't come into play until hundreds of years after this was written. Uh, some some guy decided he was going to give chapters and verses in order to help us who are studying it. So it's not a bad thing, but it's just it's important to know that when Paul wrote this, he didn't have a break. And okay, end of chapter one, and now begin chapter two. So literally, the break in the letter between chapters one and two is man-made. And it's important to know that because it, it, is, it, is, it is, I, I think, my, in my humble opinion, I think they did a good job. But I'm just saying that it's interconnected. Yeah. And so I'm going to read the end of chapter 1 go into chapter 2 because it's just one, it's just one letter. So if we can throw that up there, uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 28. Paul says, and he is the one we proclaim. That's the sense You could wrap up chapter 1 right there. He is the one he is the one i talked I started eight weeks ago talking about how how jesus is the one who's holding our hope because in the beginning of the chapter he said there's a hope laid up for us in heaven and so he is the one jesus is the one who is holding the other end of that of that hope and so that's why i preached on there's hope at the end on the end of the rope if jesus is on the end of the rope there's hope in the end of the rope we can hold on to that hope it's anchored not in the bottom of the sea but it's anchored In the top of the heavens, so the anchor—it's kind of like an anchor, but it's the reverse situation. An anchor in the sea holds you down so that you don't float around, and the waves don't take you. But an anchor in heaven holds you up so that this earth doesn't pull you down, and the waves of the circumstances don't bash you around. And but it's Him; He's the one holding the hope. He's the one on the other end. He is the one we are hoping for. Hope has a name, and His name is Jesus. He's in heaven. He's higher than everything that we're facing. He's already gone before us. He's gone into the veil. He's the forerunner. He is the one that we proclaim. He's the hope at the end of the rope. And then then the next week, I talked about how Paul said that he is the one who qualifies us. He is our qualifier. He's the one who makes us qualified and the way that he does it is he is he is is he brings situations into our lives and he brings us through situations in order to build inside of us what we're going to need in order to accomplish his purpose so once again he's the one because it's his purpose starts it off it's his process that brings it to fruition and it's him who brings about our perfection you don't have to clean yourself up and prepare yourself he is the one we proclaim if you can know him you will be prepared You will walk through the process, and you will come to a place of perfection in Him. But He's the one. And so you can't miss out on Him. You can't skip Him. You can't focus on the process. You can't say, well, I know i got to get my stuff together. No, no, no. You have to get to know Him. Get to know Him, and He gets all of your stuff together. He straightens you up. He works things out. He perfects. He matures you in a way that you can't mature yourself. It's all about He is the one we proclaim. He is the one we proclaim. The next week I talked about how he is the the firstborn over all creation. In other words, he's preeminent over all creation. He's greater than all creation. He's more important than all creation. He's more important than anything in your life. He's the firstborn over all creation. And then the next week I talked about how he's the one who holds all things together. His power holds all things together. And that's not just in this physical world, but it's also in our own lives. He's the one who holds all things together. In him, all things consist. We understand that he's the firstborn over all creation, and all things were created in him, through him, and for him. All religions point to him. Almost all the major world religions are good with him. Have you noticed that? They all tip their hat to Jesus. In fact, they're like, yeah, he's one of ours. Have you noticed that? The Muslims say, yeah, he's, he's a prophet of Allah. The Buddhists say, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great teacher. The Hare Krishnas say, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's an expression of the divine Krishna. It's interesting how all, all the religions... Are okay with him. All the religions have it's, it's like they don't know what to do with them. They can't they can't write him off, they can't discount him, they can't say he never existed or he was a fraud. And so they have to say, Well, yeah, he's one even, even the Jews now have kind of come around a little bit and it's like, Well, yeah, he's a pretty good rabbi, you know, he's a decent rabbi. It's interesting to me how everybody they they, they can't excuse him, so they have to accept him all things consist in him even, even the various religions of the world even the most bizarre ideologies can't, can't, can't get outside of him he, he is the ever expanding universe of the thought processes of man and so, and, and, and so they all point to him and then he just points to himself he says, he says I am the way, I am the truth I am the life I'm not on their team and I'm not on their team and I'm not on their team. I'm on my team. You can join my team if you want. You know, so maybe there's something about Jesus. I'm just saying, maybe there's something about Jesus. If you try all the other religions and they all point to him, he points to himself. I'm just saying, maybe all things consist. Maybe he's the one who holds all things together. And all things are held together inside of him. And, 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 and so, so because of that, uh, we preached about, uh, that he's also the firstborn from the dead, which we sang about today. There ain't no grave gonna hold my body down because Jesus got up. If he didn't get up from the grave, we have no hope of getting out of the grave. And then we preached last week how Jesus is, how the hope of glory is Christ in us. This is our hope that we will rise from the dead. Our hope of glory is that Christ is within us right now. That's the down payment. The Holy Spirit inside of us is the, is the seal, is the guarantee that we will rise again because because if 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 the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is currently at work in our mortal bodies then we can have faith when we when we finally when we finally when we when they finally lay us to rest and they lower our casket 6 feet under we have we can have faith that that's not our final resting place <laughs> that's our temporary resting place that's our temporary resting place. Our final resting place is in heaven. Our final resting place is with him. Because if he got up, what that means is uh, that we will rise one day, but it also is pretty incredible to understand that that means that currently right now in heaven, a man is on the throne. We just, we just, we just went a little deeper. I was, I was up here, and then we just get that. This the teaching, <laughs> the preaching. A man is on the, a man, a physical body, a resurrected body, but a physical resurrected body. He is the prototype. He is the firstborn uh, from the dead. He's the first of the resurrection. And so we preached on that a few weeks ago and we talked about what that means when we see Jesus, we see the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you're looking for the resurrection, just look at my body. Look at my physical body. And so the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, he's reconciling all things to the Father. He's reconciling all things seen, like you guys, and all things unseen. That's crazy. He's reconciling unseen things. He's reconciling spirits. He's reconciling angels. He's reconciling... Gravity, he's reconciling light, he's reconciling atoms and neutrons and protons and quarks. And he's, 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 the, the stuff that was disconnected uh, in the fall of man, the stuff that became disconnected because of Adam, he is reconnecting. And this world is not spinning out of control, it is coming into connection with the one who created it to begin with. And it's groaning, and it doesn't like it. It's like it's like going to the chiropractor. It stretches you a little bit, snaps you a little bit, but it's bringing back into alignment. So look, man, don't don't fight the chaos. Don't be afraid of the chaos. Don't be afraid of different countries threatening nuclear war and this and that and that over there. And like you know, I'm talking to my kids about uh, uh i was talking to my kids about about Russia and the Cold War. It's good night bed, bedtime stories and and. Uh, <clears throat> And they were like, and they were like, well, you know, so then, so then I got into the Iraqi war and well, it's not actually called that, but anyway, the first one, the second one where we won more than we won the first one. And, um, you know, I was just, I was just kind of sharing just in kids language, what went down and, and they were like, well, could that happen again? You know, could another country? And I said, well, uh, just this week, actually, a couple (laughs) tankers were blown up, uh, right over in that area. And I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I was sharing with the kids, and they kind of began to be worried. And I said, but look, God is bringing everything to his ultimate conclusion. Yeah. So we're not afraid of the end. We're not afraid of the apocalypse. We're not afraid. We're not trying to avoid it. I don't understand these, these Christians that are like, we got to vote for the right person. Otherwise, we'll get to the end times quicker. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on How about we intentionally try to get as close to the end times as possible? Because the Spirit is saying, come. Why doesn't the bride echo the words and the voice of the Spirit? Why aren't we looking forward to the glorious appearing of our great God? Why aren't we waiting for the trumpet sound? Why aren't we excited about it? Are we really so earthly minded? Are we really so married to our stuff? I don't know. But kids aren't married to stuff yet, so they can just look forward to it. They're just like, yeah, he's going to make all things new. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be a new city chapel. It's going to be 2.0. It's going to be awesome. So we're looking forward to the end, trying to save as many people as we can while we have as much time as we can. We're trying to do as much for God as as we have the time. But at at the end of, of, of this thing, I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to the one who we proclaim. That's why it takes me so long to preach through this. He is the one that we proclaim. Thank you. Cheers. I don't know what's going on with my voice. He is the one we proclaim. And... We admonish and teach everyone. Those two things actually are key to the transition that Paul is is making. Uh, He's coming to this point in the letter where he has laid a firm foundation about who Jesus is. And I could re-preach all that, but I won't. Um, But now he's saying there's these other two things that we do all the time. We proclaim him, but these other two things that we do, and we're going to do it here in this letter, we admonish and we teach Admonish is, uh, is kind of a... It's an encouraging word for warn, to warn people. It means to warn people gently or with a smile, I guess. It's a positive way of warning people. Like, hey, uh, let me admonish you. Don't jump off that cliff. <laughs> let, me, let me admonish you. Don't eat Taco Bell late at night. <laughs> let, me just, let, me, let me just admonish you. Let me... Let me, let me let me admonish you man like don't do that it's 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 a warning it's a warning that is this positive but it is a warning he said man this is what I'm doing this is what I'm doing all the time I'm admonishing people And and, and that's actually what he's about to do in chapter 2. All of chapter 2 is one big warning. Uh, He hits several different areas, and he just kind of, he starts admonishing the church. He says, basically, the way I see warnings and admonishing, an admonishment is like the walls around the foundation. So he built the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. There is nothing else to build on. But if you don't get some walls in your life, if you don't get some barriers, if you don't have anybody who can warn you, well, ain't no grave, Corey. Oh, corey has gone. See, that's the issue. That's, goes to the bathroom for five minutes. It, 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 you, if you don't have anybody building walls in your life, you have no boundaries, you will not stay on the foundation that you found. You've got to have somebody who loves you enough to say, look, this is how you stay on the foundation, okay? Here's the wall. This is the line. This is where it's at. Now you go over there, you're going off the foundation. And so uh, that's that's why Paul says everybody, I mean, I'm laying foundations and I'm building walls. That's why it's kind of weird that people say a church without walls. I'm like, well, how does the roof stay up? How does that work out? (laughs) I'm a very literal person, and when people talk about, we're a church without walls, I'm like, okay. We spent some money building ours, but okay, that's cool. I, I kind of like my wall. It's cool, you know? Like, uh, uh, I understand what they mean. They mean they're, not, they're trying not to divide people, you know, and whatever. But, but, but honestly, like some, there is some division that's good. To understand what is and what is not truth. To understand what is and what is not real. I don't, I don't divide people. I don't split people up. But, but what is and what is not error. You gotta have somebody who's willing, who loves you enough to walk into your life and say, man, this is this is this this is not good. This is a wall. You're you're going, we we need to build a wall here. A wall makes sure <clears throat> that you stay in the boundary. It's nice to have boundaries and it's nice to get, get a little chalk line and snap it and say, Yep, that's our boundary. But a wall ensures you stay within that boundary. It also helps support the rest of a building of a life on this foundation. We have a lot of, I think, spiritual beggars because they have the foundation and then they pitch a tent, and it's just a temporary thing that they come visit on Sundays. It's a temporary thing, like every, once a month Sundays, like <laughs> it's a ten, it's just a temporary housing that they have on this great foundation which is Jesus. But what Paul says, man, no, I wanna I wanna admonish you so that you can build something that lasts a little bit longer than five minutes, a little bit longer than than the current election cycle, a little bit longer than your Nike Airs, you know, something's got a little bit stronger than this particular hype, a little bit, a little bit longer than Facebook is going to last. <gasps> That's going to be around forever, isn't it? No, it's not. It's going to be like MySpace one of these days. <laughs> In the dust bucket of, oh yeah, when Jesus comes back, yeah, um, man. I, I, it, it's got to build, build something. And so this is what he's doing. He's building some walls for admonishing his people and teaching. Teaching is what fills in the rest of that. It's the roof. It's the, it's the walls. It's the ceiling. Teaching helps fill in all of the gaps. It's the, it's the for those of us builders, it's the caulk. You know, all the, all, all the it seals. It just seals everything in. Every, all, all your mistakes, all your bad cut jobs and bad mudding jobs. <laughs> That doesn't fit. It's all right. I got some cock. You just squish it in there. A little bit more. Okay. Sorry, I'm giving all your secrets away. People think you just cut it precisely. But um, anyway, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's important when you're warning people, by the way, that you use wisdom. Because you can, you can bring out the, the, the sword of, a, of, a, of warning and chop off some ears if you're not careful. Uh, it's important that you use some wisdom. And so, he says, the goal... In this admonishing is that we may present everyone fully mature. Look at that. Fully mature. The goal of admonishing is so that we may present everyone fully mature. And I just want to let you know the goal of my preaching today is so that I may present you someday fully mature. The goal of, hopefully, the goal of church after you come to Jesus and find the foundation of Jesus and stand on the foundation of Jesus, hopefully the goal of the spiritual leader in your life is to present you to Christ fully mature. That, 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 your, that immaturity is not just excused as just life. It is life, but it ought to not stay life. Uh, there are certain things that just ought to be developed over time. Uh, if you come and listen and to, to preaching and worship and, and, and get excited, and that, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but if it doesn't grow you at all, if it doesn't mature you at all, if, if, if you, let's just put it this way, if you're at the same level, if, you're at, if your relationship with Jesus is the same in July as it was in January, you haven't grown if you're as close to Jesus in July as you were in January, you haven't matured. So, so this is a little warning for you. You've gotta, you, you. You must mature in your walk with Jesus. I, I heard somebody say, and they were, they were talking about, I think they were talking about a business uh, sort of concepts, but they said people overestimate the change they can affect in one year, and they underestimate the change they can affect in two. And so we have big New Year's resolutions, right? But we have very few like two-year resolutions because we overestimate the kind of the changes we can make in one year, but we actually underestimate the changes we can make in two. And so over the span of five years, we look back and we really haven't done very much. That's talking with regard to business and personal goals and ambitions, bucket lists and things. But with regard to spiritual maturity, I've seen people be in the church for 10, 15, 20 years and they have the same understanding of Jesus that they had then. They're the same, they're preaching, some of them preaching the same thing. They're saying the same things. They're, 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 they're going through the same motions. And so, and so it's important to understand that God wants to mature you. And it's also important to understand that maturity is not uh, seen out here. So, because I'm talking to Texans who grew up in scary church. Whenever the pastor talked about maturity, he talked about, like, what you watched, what you listened to, how you dressed. Because that's what they, they're, they're like, okay, you're on this foundation. Now, act right. Right? And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with acting right. I mean, you should act right. But, but, but honestly, when you mature, you act right. Not... It's not the other way around. Acting right doesn't bring maturity. When you mature, you act the way that God wants you to act. You're able to do what God wants you to do. And so it's not, maturity is not seen necessarily initially here. It's not seen here at all. Because look, look, he, he goes on to explain. He says, he says, we want to present everyone mature, uh, fully mature in Christ. And then he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And then go on to chapter 2. This is just the next part of the letter. He says, I want you to know. How hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Go on to the next verse. My goal is that they may be encouraged in their heart, united in love. Neither of those things show up on the outside. The encouragement of your heart and the unity of love between people. These are things scary church usually leaves out because it's harder to get people to love each other. It's a lot easier to get people to dress alike. It's harder to get them to actually love each other. And, and that's, what, that's why Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am fighting. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending. He uses that word twice, contending. That word is used twice in this passage, and it's, and it's the same word that would be used about a gladiator going into a ring to fight in, in, a, in a game. But, of course, back in those days, it was to the death. The winner got glory. The loser got a funeral. And Paul uses that word. He says, I want you to know how strenuously I contend and how hard I am in the ring, the gladiator ring, fighting for your maturity. Because to get people to dress alike is, is easy. To get people to think alike is easy to get people to 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 believe alike is easy all you have to do is tell them everybody else is wrong <laughs> and it's like oh okay well i guess and you point out all the wrong of everybody else and then we and then and then we we draw a circle around what we believe and then if you believe what we believe then then you then, then you're right and you can be good and, and and you get people to coalesce and to and to believe the same thing that's not difficult but to be unified in love Paul says, man, this is a fight. This is difficult. This is, I'm in the ring. I got more enemies than I got friends. I'm surrounded by, Have you anybody anybody see Russell Crowe, Gladiator, back in the day? I mean, that's a classic. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's awesome. He's, but man, like, they give you like a little twig and then put you against a lion and like a giant with armor and some chariot dude, you know? It's, you are, you are not, you're not supposed to win, actually as a gladiator. The odds are stacked against you. So here's my positive, encouraging word for you today. (laughs) If the goal is maturity, you need to know the odds are stacked against you. You need to know it's going to be a fight. It's about to go down. Like, it's... and, and, and not just like you're not just going to be this, this is what I hear from Christians a lot is is uh, I'm 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 under attack. Because that's what it feels like when you walk into the ring with a twig and you're up against these really strong dudes and lines and stuff. It's like I'm under attack. Well, uh, It's close. You're not under attack, though. you you have to think of yourself not in a, a under attack, but in a fight. Because if you're under attack, you'll be in the defensive position at all times. Your goal will be to survive. No wonder Christians are running around the ring of the Coliseum. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm under attack. Pray for me. <laughs> I'm just trying to, whoa. It's just, it's it's like. <laughs> prayer requests are like this is chasing me this week and that was chasing me that and then that come out of nowhere and it's like i'm surrounded and i can't figure out where the enemy is because there's so many of them you know and it's so much coming from so many different angles no you're not under attack you're in you're in a fight is yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not a victim of this You are, you are fighting for something. Paul says, I'm not just, I'm not just in prison because the devil doesn't like me and, you know, and, and people are mean. And I mean, no, he says, I'm in prison. I'm suffering because I stood up for Jesus because I decided to fight for maturity in, in, in you all. And, and I'm paying a heavy price for that. And it's difficult, but I see the purpose in my pain. The purpose is maturity. I'm going for something. I'm not surviving. I'm not just barely getting by. I'm not just going to try to escape this tribulation for as long as I possibly can, and then one day he'll take me on up to glory. I am fighting for something. I'm contending for something. I was talking to somebody the other, the other day, and they, and, and they were under attack, and they called me because they are under attack, they really were. Uh, by the way, pastors are under attack much more than anybody else, because not only do we have to... F- face the devil and hell and and uh our own pride and our own issues just like you and our own marriages and our own kids but we got to deal with you all and and that's sometimes there's attacks coming that way too you know what i'm saying and 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 he was like and then he was he was share with me he's under attack and i said man what that's that's true but what's your what's your biggest weapon i said for me i don't know it's different for different pastors uh, 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 Pastor Robin down in Promised Land his, I think his biggest weapon is like organization and so if he really wants to do some damage to the enemy like just get him like in a boardroom and he does, he does stuff because I, I, I worked with him for six years so I, I've seen him do some the, the, the enemy doesn't like it when Robin's organizing stuff now, for me, the enemy is happy for me to be in a boardroom all day long. He'll let me tinker with organization. like He's like, ah, it's fine. Let him do it. He'll knock himself out. But for me, my biggest club is, is the gift of preaching because that's what God called me to do when I was 14 years old. And so, and so I told him, I said, man, you, but, but you got to know what your weapon is. But once you know what your weapon is, Get that thing out and swing that as hard as you can for as long as you can in the direction that God told you to go in the first place. Like I would I told him, man, if I I preach so much power, I preach so much grace, I would, I would, I would bring the 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 truth of scripture to bear in people's lives so much that the devil would rue the day that he messed with my family. He's not gonna do that again. I rude, I I I rude the day once. It wasn't fun. Chandler, that's a Chandler quote. Anyway, it, 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 you know what I mean? Like 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 you. But you, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so if if your weapons are carnal, it's because you're carnal. It's because your heart's carnal. You, carnal people prefer carnal weapons. And so they'll gladly start fighting fake fights. They'll gladly start boxing the air and trying to take out political opponents on Facebook because they think that that's a great fight. And it's because of why? Because it's easier to, to, to dismantle somebody's argument than to look in the mirror and say, I need to mature. The fight for maturity is more difficult because it's more personal. Because you're not fighting people, flesh and blood. You're f- fighting this right here. You're fighting this right here. You're, you're dealing with it. This is the fight of maturity. This is the fight that God wants us to be engaged in. And so sometimes you talk about, oh yeah, Christianity is a fight. Oh, I know it. I, I gotta argue with people all day, and I gotta tell them they're wrong, and, and I gotta, and I gotta make sure that they all know who to vote for. And I gotta uh, and, and and it's and, and, and it's and it's stressful and it'll wear you out, but it won't accomplish maturity six months from now you won't remember what you were arguing about which Fox News article was whatever and you don't remember what Starbucks was doing I mean it's crazy to me that we getting we, we get down on the we fight on this level and the problem with that is you can win at that level and not accomplish anything you can win at that level and not accomplish anything. And so the enemy is happy to keep giving us fake fights and keep giving us fake opponents and keep giving us straw, straw man arguments and keep 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 us so focused on all this other stuff that we don't have time to deal with the real fight, which is our maturity, which is how close are you to Jesus, which is have you learned more about Jesus this month than you did last month? Are you any more equipped to lead people to Jesus this month than you were last month? Are you any more motivated to invite your neighbors and friends to church this month than you were last month? Are you any more united in love? Are you any more connected to those people around you than you were last month? This is maturity. He wants us to be encouraged in our heart, united in love, so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that... They may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So that's why I say maturity is not something that happens out here. Maturity is knowing Christ. The more you know Christ, the more mature you are. That's it. That is is the scale of maturity. And we love to to throw other things on there. The more creeds you memorize or the more doctrine you get specifically correct. Nothing wrong with creeds, nothing wrong with doctrines, nothing wrong with dressing good and listening to good music and, and all that. But, but Paul doesn't list any of that. He says, this is it, that you would know Christ. And when you know Christ, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the, tre- it, he, he doesn't look like he's got a lot in him. It's hidden. It's like, yeah, well, I already know Jesus. He, rose from, you know, he lived and he died and he rose from the dead. Yeah, but do you know him? Do you commune with him? Because he looks, he, he looks just like a cheap story until you meet him, until you know him. And when he starts speaking to you, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge just start coming out of that. And like I said last week, my, my my best ideas come out of the prayer closet. My best sermons come out of the prayer closet. My best parenting skills come out of the prayer closet. My best husband skills, whatever those are it may be. It comes out of times with Jesus. Sometimes He doesn't even have to say anything to you. Which is why worship is so powerful because sometimes he's not speaking like a word to people. But they'll be standing there with tears running down their face just being in his presence. Because in him are hidden all that, not in hearing him, not in seeing him, but just in him. When you are near him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge just start coming to you. And stuff that would have taken you years to figure out. You just, you just, it just comes to you. It's like, ah. Oh. This is, this, this is how I've gotten over every hurt, hurdle in my life. Is an encounter with God. That's it. I don't have any great secret. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, the other day about church hurt, because anybody that's been in church for a while has been hurt by people in the church and pastors in the church. Uh, and that includes me. I grew up in the church, and so I... I know about church hurt. And one of the biggest church hurt moments in my life happened. I was 23. And um, it really threw me for a loop, you know, really hit me back. Just like, but shortly after that, I mean, literally like a a week later, I was scheduled to preach at this camp meeting. And um, it was, it's what we now, those of us that were there, Peter and T-Bear, some of you remember T-Bear and me um, and Dan those of us that were there we referred to it as the night because it was just it was just the night i don't know it was wednesday night i was supposed to preach that night like i was one of the night preachers so um we we heard about that wednesday night uh so you know it was monday night god took over and like just worship was just awesome no preaching tuesday night no preaching and wednesday night um it was i don't know it was just the night so i didn't really preach actually um but i did I had one request and, and anyway, that, that, so God just blew up and for hours, four or five hours, we were just worshiping and, and kids were anointing kids, teenagers, a teenager youth camp. So it was, uh, and uh, it was, it was incredible. But in the middle of that, I'm, I'm laying out on the stage and, and I was just worshiping. I'm not praying about any particular thing. And um, uh, I had like this vision. It's like I could see that church. I was, it's like I was in because I, I knew I was like in the building. And uh, I just started kind of like pulling back, like zooming out, you know. Um, and I could sort of see the building and, and then like the city and Port Huron and Michigan and, and the United States outline and clouds and stuff and, and this planet. And, and it just getting smaller and smaller. And then God just spoke to me just, just a short, just one sentence, so just a question. He said, what was that you were worried about? you know kind of like when he looked at the woman and said where are your accusers It didn't give me any great revelation he just gave me some perspective and asked me a simple question and bam i could release it bam i could forgive them bam i could move on because yeah what was it (laughs) what did they do to me anyway literally actually nothing Okay. So you, I don't have the great secret how to move on from stuff except get in the presence of Jesus. In him, in him is located all the treasures. You say, oh, here, that's really profound. That's really deep. I didn't come up with it. He just, like, he just did it. You know, I don't come up with this stuff. He just says it. He just shows it. But man, when you're, when you're building your life on him, you're fighting i'm not saying i didn't have to fight but he's the fuel for my fight he's the fuel for my fight because when you look if we could if we could go back to that to that verse i think it's verse 29 in chapter one it's right at the end of chapter one he's talking about that fight and he says to this end i strenuously contend with all of the energy christ so powerfully works in me you can't tell that in the English, but in the original language, he's repeating himself a couple of times there. He says, I strenuously contend, and that word contend is to fight. But he says, I am I am doing this. I'm fighting, but I'm doing it with energy that Christ powerfully works in me. The word energy is energy. And energia, which is where we get the word energy from, um, or energetic or uh, power, but a power that's that's doing something. Because powerfully is another word for power that's dunamis, that's power that blows stuff up and removes barriers. But but energy is is the kind of power that is building something. It's the it's the it's the constant activity, it's a flow. So Paul said, What I'm I'm fighting for your maturity and 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 yet i'm not i'm not fighting from my own strength i'm fighting from this flow this energy that's inside of me and that he says christ powerfully dunamis works and that word works is also the word energy so so he says man i'm fighting hard but it's not my own energy it's not my own flow it's not my own pattern it's not my own activities i mean it is but it is this energy that is Christ's energy that he is energizing me with and so you know it's it's, it's almost a picture of literally like plugging into an outlet there's this powerful energy and i have the apparatus inside of me to handle that energy and to do something with it but I have to plug into Christ. And when I'm plugged into Christ, the energy transfers from Christ to me. And then that energy starts moving everything. All the gears start working. All the, all the, 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 the RAM kicks boot, boots in and the, the computer kicks on. And, 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 and all, everything lights up when his energy comes into me. And then he energetically is in me. He is energy he is energetically in me. He doesn't sit still in me. He's not static. He's dynamic. He's pushing. He's breathing. He's—he's—he's he's, he's speaking. He's—he's—he's—he's—he's—he's he's, 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 he's fighting for me in me, so that I can fight for me in me as well. It's his energy that turns on. Turns on the human. Soul turns on the human heart. It's his energy. And so this is, this is, this is the key, though, is to, is to know him, is to really, truly know him, not just understand some facts about him. But maturity is found when we know him and when we plug into him and when we allow his energy to come in to us. Because the good news is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. I guarantee, I guarantee if you would fight, the Scripture says, Scripture simply says with regard to this, this fight, that if we simply rebuke the enemy, that he will flee from us. Meaning, if you'll stop running from it and turn and face it, with the energy that God is working inside of you, and, it, I, and I, I mean turn and face the real thing, not the Political nonsense, not the, uh, no, but turn and face the real thing. Turn and face the lack of maturity in your own heart. Turn and face the, 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 the lack of maturity in your own life. Turn and face the stagnantness of your own life, the staticness of your own relationship with God. Because you, you could be here today and say, well, I don't really have an energy flowing in me. You know, I prayed a prayer once. Well, that's great, but what, what kicked on when you prayed? Did anything turn on? Because if not, then you, you, maybe you got too much at once. We blew a fuse, you know what I'm saying? This is like, Psh, your connection just lost it. Some of us just got too much, I can't, I can't handle that. And we walked away. We blew a, a mental and emotional and spiritual fuse. We we hit a, we hit a high point. And we just couldn't figure out how we could ever move on from there. Well, well, you got to reestablish that connection. That's what you got to put a new fuse in and say, you know what? Hey, let's let's plug in and let's allow him to set the let's allow him to set the, the current, the voltage. Let, let let's allow let's allow the voltage to be set from the outlet and not from the not from the receiver. Let's just let him figure that out how much he wants to give of him, how much energy he wants to work inside of us. Maybe he wants to take it slower. Maybe it's going to take a little while to break down some of these strongholds and stuff that's been built up over your life. Maybe you don't have to start preaching tomorrow, you know? Maybe you can, just, maybe you can, maybe you can let him set the tempo and the current and the flow of the power that's coming to you, but whenever you let him do that, but the question is, is anything flowing? If nothing's flowing, then there's no maturity happening. But if something's flowing, if something's moving, even if it's moving just a little bit, can I encourage you just to plug into that, to lean into that, to allow the, what he's trying to work in you to actually work in you. Because when it's, once it works in you, then it can work out from you. He's got to do something in you. He's got to do a change in you. And I know you want to change a lot of stuff out here, but he's got to change something in here. The energy has to has to turn something on in here, the computer has to, has to reboot, has to, all the stuff that goes on before the little chime on your Mac, like all that stuff's gotta happen when the lights are still out in the secret place, in the quiet place. But that energy is it's important because if you, just, if you just try changing everything out here and he doesn't do something in you, it'll be in your power, it'll be in your strength and you'll be responsible to make sure it stays that way. And you'll stress yourself out, burn yourself out, you'll blow a fuse and you'll say, it just doesn't work for me does work you got to let it work let him work would you close your eyes with me for just a minute i just want to pray over you and i just feel the spirit just speaking through me (laughs) and then even just just i see just the lord dealing with people's hearts and so i don't know what your response needs to be it's simply just simply jesus i want to plug into you Forgive me for removing that plug. Forgive me for stepping back, for pulling back. I want to plug back in to you. I want to plug back into your presence. I want to spend time in your presence. I want to spend time in your word. I want to spend time with your people. I want to be unified in love. That's a tricky one in this day and age. We've legitimized disunity. Disunity but it's not. It's not legit. It's not the way it was created to be. God wants us to be unified. Even if we go to different churches, God wants us to be unified. Even if we sing different songs, God wants us to be unified. Even if we listen to different sermons, God wants us to be unified. If we vote for different politicians, God wants us to be unified. God's looking for a where 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 there's unity, He commands the blessing. He's looking for that that, that unity, but it starts inside of my heart. It starts inside of the, the unified in love. I got to have something inside of me to connect with somebody who's so different than me. and so he has to he has to do something inside of us. And so Father, we invite you, Jesus, we invite you, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place and into our lives and into our hearts and into our thinking and into our patterns. I ask for you to work powerfully inside of us so that you can do something powerfully through us so that we can step into the battlefield of this life and really give the enemy a black eye You really give the forces of darkness in South Austin a black eye You really give addiction a black eye You really give sexual immorality a black eye Really give anger a black eye. Really, really, just just take it to the forces of darkness that is that is ravaging and taking out so many people. That we would lead captivity captive. We would be in that train with you. We'd be in that that thing with you, and we grab a hold of the rope, taking captivity captive, and giving gifts freely to men, giving the Holy Spirit freely to those that ask of them. <laughs> We want to be used by you. We want you to do something inside of us so we open up ourselves to you. If you're opening yourself up to Jesus, would you just raise your hands right now and just receive from him? I don't know, it's just a physical change of posture, Father. We receive all that you have to give us. We receive all that you have. We want to know you like we've never known you before. We might have been walking with you for years. We want to know you like we've never... Surely we haven't exhausted the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Surely we haven't figured out what angels haven't even been able to tap into. Surely we haven't reached the end of this ocean. Surely we haven't touched the floor of this yet. We, Lord, we want to know you more. We want, we want to see you. We want, to, we want to, to, to touch you. We want to explore the riches of the glory of Jesus. We want a fresh baptism. We want a fresh renewal. We want a renewed first love. If <laughs> you knew how strenuously I'm contending for you, And Laodicea. Mm. Oh, we want to be. We want to be Coloss. We don't want to be Laodicea 35 years later after this letter. Mm. receive everything you have to give We thank you god for the price that you paid to make it available we thank you that you as much as we want you you want us so much more we're not asking you to do something that you haven't planned and prepared for and paid for and already wrapped with our name on it it's already under the tree we just We've been walking around doing other stuff. So Lord, we focus, we shift our focus to that thing which is so valuable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.